Llamas everywhere. My husband Tom had come up with more than a few crazy ideas during our 29 years of marriage, but this one topped them all. We are not buying a llama, I told him. No way. We had just driven home after spending the afternoon at a huge llama exhibition and show on the Ohio State Fairgrounds. We had gone there for the dog show, where for five years we'd shown our beloved boxer. Roxy was a beautiful champion show dog whom I loved as if she were one of our children. She'd drawn us into a life I could have never imagined. Roxy came into our lives when she was a puppy, and everything changed. Summer weekends were spent going to shows across the region. It became all-consuming. For a month, we didn't even go to church. That was the one drawback about showing dogs. But I'd so enjoyed it. The competition, the people we met, the time bonding with Roxy. I was sure God understood. Then, at six years old, Roxy was diagnosed with an inoperable brain tumor and died. Nearly a year later, I was still heartbroken. I thought coming to the show would be a way to relieve happy memories, but all I felt was sadness. I can't do this, I told Tom halfway through. We left the arena. Just outside the doors was a huge sign. Come see the llamas! Let's check it out! Tom said. I thought he was joking. An hour later, we were still walking past pen after pen of these leggy, furry animals. Tom was fascinated, peppering the farm owners with questions and getting their business cards. The whole three-hour drive back to our 32-acre hillside hobby farm, Tom was lost in thought. Sometimes, I feel like we should be doing something more with our lives, he said, as much to himself as me. At last, we pulled into the driveway. Tom announced, I'm going to buy a llama. He'd always been like this, impulsive and full of ideas. Wanting to buy the farm when we were just starting out in the marriage, volunteering us to teach Sunday school, and then to lead a youth group. Never mind that we had no experience, he just slipped in and trusted God to figure out the details. I was more cautious and liked to weigh all the pros and cons. God gave us brains so we could think things through, right? And I couldn't see anything good about this idea. Why llamas? And what will we do with them? There's a good money to be made in breeding them, Tom said. The breeders I spoke to mentioned that there is a huge demand and it could help us 
supplement our retirement. I was 50, Tom was 52. I was glad that he was thinking about the future, but still, Lana's? It seems too risky, I said. We'd raise a few horses and cattle, not that we'd ever gotten rich of it. Tom let the subject drop. I noticed he kept the Lama's farm business cards on his dresser, though. A couple months later, he called me at work. There is a Lama farm north of Columbus, he said. I want to go have a look this weekend. More than 100 llamas ambled about the farm's rolling fields. Tom was like a kid in a candy store. Was this the future he envisioned for us? Llamas everywhere? We both worked full-time. Tom for a plastic manufacturer, me in the computer department of Marshall University School of Medicine. Solid, dependable jobs. One llama in particular, a spindly-legged, fuzzy brown-and-white baby, took a liking to Tom. Her name was Emily. She followed him like a puppy. How can we resist? Tom said. Let's just start with her. I still wasn't feeling it, but how much trouble could a little one llama be? Okay, I said. You will need to get to, the breeder added, not so helpfully. They are hard animals. They don't do well alone. Six months later, when they're weaned, we brought home Emily and a solid brown male baby named Fabian. We opened the back doors of the trailer and the llamas walked into our freshly mown field. Emily nosed the grass and began nibbling. Fabian sniffed the air around him. I can't explain it, but something took hold of me. There were just two of them surrounded by open field, their wool dappled by the sun. It seemed as if they were exactly where they belonged, as if God himself had reached down and placed them on our farm. Was he trying to tell me something? They're beautiful, I said. They really are. Tom nodded, but he had that faraway look again. What now? I thought. A few days later, I found out. We should take the llamas out to the places where folks can meet them, he said. Nursing homes, schools, that kind of things. I remember the breeder stressing that it was important to get the word out, to have people interact with the llamas, in order to build a successful breeding operation. I hadn't thought we'd start right away, though. I've been praying for a way for us to get involved in some sort of ministry outside the church, Tom said. The llamas could be the answer. There will be the conversation starter for sure. On animal ministry, I thought about Roxy and all the places we'd taken her. People constantly came up to us wanting to pet her. But I'd never seen it as a chance to talk about God. 
If anything, the dog show circuit had pulled me away from church, from practicing my faith. I'd regretted that. Now, it was as if God was giving us a chance for a do-over. With llamas, all of things. We could curl our palm, good news llamas, Tom added. And we can share the good news of Jesus Christ wherever we go. A few days later, I called a nursing home in our area. They were thrilled to have us visit. The resident's face lit up when we saw Emily and Fabian. I've never seen a llama in real life, one woman said. She couldn't stop petting Emily. The llamas were as gentle as could be. We didn't talk directly about God, and yet there was no doubt that He was there, working through us, bringing joy and laughter to people. Not long after that, we visited school. A boy came up to Fabian, a skull on his face. He was dressed all in black. Everything about him said, leave me alone. Yet he buried his head deep in Fabian's wool, holding the llama tight for nearly 20 minutes. Fabian never tried to pull away. He connected with this boy in a way I could have never imagined. At the end of our visit, the teacher told me, That boy come from a very difficult family situation. I've never seen him show any kind of affection. I found myself spending more and more time with our llamas, and it wasn't just to learn how to keep them healthy and happy. Emily still followed Tom around like a puppy. Every night when we came home from work, she was by the fence waiting for him. When Emily and Fabian were nearly a year old, the breeder told us we needed to separate them so they wouldn't mate too young. Of course, that would mean buying two more llamas so everyone could have a friend. When we finally began breeding them, the babies were so cute I couldn't bear to be part with them. So much for our retirement income. Every year, we welcomed two or three new llamas to the herd that became part of the family. I heard about all the uses for llama fiber, and from that came entirely new ministry. Our daughter Mitzi started Woolly Mountain Ministries, speaking at churches and using llama wool and her spinning wheel to share the message of Jesus Christ. I too learned how to spin the fiber into yarn, perfect for knitting and crocheting. I began teaching spinning, dyeing, and felting. We went to more schools and nursing homes, festivals and parades, even the llama show on the Ohio State Fairgrounds, the place where it had all begun. Our schedules got so busy, Tom and I ultimately left our jobs to devote more time to the ministry. The llamas turned out to be a wonderful retirement plan after all.
Today, we have a herd of 18, including Emily. She's 23 years old now and still loves meeting people. People are drawn in by the llamas, but they also ask about the ministry's name. What do you mean by good news? They say. I tell them of God's love and how He wants the best for each of us. If only we allow ourselves to trust and go where He leads us.